Great to see you. I want to welcome you to our 11 o'clock service, and I want to especially welcome all of you, whether here in our worship center or over in the Ridge, who normally I see at 9 o'clock. Uh, it's great to have you joining us today as well. So uh, I hope you enjoyed sleeping in, uh, and uh, you all feel refreshed. I'm expecting a lot of you today, all right? I'm expecting a lot of energy. Um, so my, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And so inside your, uh, your, your uh, worship, kind of your program is a worship, uh, kind of a note sheet, um, a, a message note sheet. It's green and white. And we use it every week for our time of teaching. But if you're new, you may not know that. So um, I want to not only welcome you, but invite you to take that out. And we're going to jump in and uh, continue this series together. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here to be continuing this journey. And we're so thankful for who you are, what you're doing in our lives, the vision you have for us, and how you're coming alongside of us to teach us what it looks like to listen, to follow, to be transformed, to become like you so we can love others as you've loved us. And so we pray today as we take this next important step of this journey that you would open up your word, open up our minds and hearts, you'd speak loud and clear, that we would hear, we would listen, we would follow, we would be transformed so we could live out this epic vision you have for our lives. We pray in your name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today in the fall, and uh, he loves this time of year. The, uh, the hot, humid days of summer have passed. The cool breezes of the fall are here. Uh, in a month, uh, rainy season will be coming. And uh, he just loves this time of year with the changes it brings to the weather. Even the air feels differently. Uh, the, the trees are, are changing. It's just a beautiful season. And uh, so it's during this season in the fall that uh, some of his brothers come to him and uh, ask him if he's going to be traveling with the family, going south for the, uh, to celebrate the holidays. And, uh, and he says no, that this year he's not going to be going with them. And uh, they're not liking this answer. In fact, uh, not that you've ever experienced any conflict in your family around holidays, but, uh, but in his family, this has become kind of a, a, a growing issue in the last few years as he's beginning to chart a new course for his life that's uh, leading him at times in a different path than his family. And his family is having a hard time dealing with this. And so uh, the good thing is that they've, been, they've, they've come to him directly. Uh, I'm sure they've discussed it among themselves as well, but they've come to him directly to confront him about the direction his life is taking, and they're not always happy with that. And honestly, he respects that, and he loves them. But... Uh, but he's also been firm that he needs to be his own person. And as you can imagine, in families, this has not always gone well. And so in the last couple of years, there's a growing tension, kind of an escalating level of conflict. And this current uh, conflict over the holidays, this fall, is just the most recent version of the conflict. And so as you stand back, as you look at this family, you wonder where this is going to go, where this tension is going to lead and how this story is going to end. So today, we are continuing this series that we've been in the last eight weeks. This is week number nine. Next week, we'll be wrapping it all up. It's called Loving People, Doing Relationships in a Whole New Way. And for those who are new, uh, not only a welcome, but this is uh, 
kind of a brief recap, this is a series about relationships. And so what we've learned in this series is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that Jesus says that God has two top priorities for our life. The first is we love God with everything we have, uh, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that our top priority in life will be to know him and to love him and to please him. But then out of that top priority comes a second priority that we would love others as he has loved us or love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But what we've seen in this series is that even after we come to Jesus and we experience the new birth and we have the Holy Spirit come into our life with this new love for God and new love for people, that often when it comes to living out this new life of love in our everyday relationships, we're not always sure how to do that. And so often we tend to fall back on old habits, old patterns, old models that are often, frankly, um, dysfunctional or even destructive. And so what we're doing in this series is to go back to the Word and say, what does it look like to live out this new life of love, to do relationships in a whole new way, the Jesus way? And today, the topic on the table is what I'm calling freedom, living it and giving it. And even that title probably raises questions in your mind, like what are we talking about? In previous weeks, we've talked about forgiveness, we've talked about listening, we've talked about character, authenticity. These are titles you kind of know, like, I think I know where he's going, but what are you talking about freedom? And so what I want to do today is start with three big picture principles about the Bible's vision for our lives to live in and to give freedom, uh, and then come back to the end and ask three very pointed questions, get really specific to help take this kind of big picture teaching of the Bible and apply it in a very practical way in our lives. And so there in your note sheet, You have a section called Loving People, Living It and Giving It. That's actually a misprint. It's my fault. I didn't catch it. Uh, It should say say freedom, living it and giving it. And so what I want to do is is kind of three big picture principles about freedom. So let's let's, let's jump in. First one, the first thing that we need to lay the groundwork today is that that we are created to live in freedom, that we're we're created for freedom. In other words, that we're created, we were created as free agents, free moral agents. We're created to live in freedom in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Uh, One of my favorite statements about freedom in the Bible comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, and this is a statement he makes there in your note sheet. He says, it is for what? It's for freedom that Christ has set us So Jesus has come to set us free. He's come to create freedom. And he says, uh, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to your life of slavery. Now, in context, he's talking to the the Christ followers at Galatia saying, as as followers of Jesus, your Gentile followers of Jesus, uh, you, you don't need to follow all the Jewish rituals and laws that were designed to prepare Israel for the coming of Messiah. So you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. You don't need to follow all the Jewish uh, food laws, uh, the Sabbath laws, all the holidays uh, that, that Jesus has come, uh, the fulfillment has come, and so we're free. We don't, don't go back to those old ways. But what we see as we look at the, the larger story the Bible is telling is that Jesus really has come to set us free, to free us to become the people we are created to be. You think of what Jesus said in John chapter 8. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? 
It will set you free. I think of Romans chapter 8 where Paul says we're no longer slaves to fear as we sing in the song. And so this bigger story is that Jesus has come to free us to become the people we were created to be. And today our focus is really what does freedom look like in our relationships? And so what I want to focus on today, what I want to start with is what I'm calling a working definition of freedom. All right, for when I talk about freedom today in relation, what do I mean by that word? And so there in your note sheet is a uh, some fill in the blanks, a definition. It's probably the longest fill in the blanks we'll ever have at Rocky Peak. So we're going to fill it in and then I'm going to close in prayer. So um, uh, anyway, so it goes like this, that freedom is the ability to, first of all, to think our own thoughts. When you talk about relationship, freedom is the ability to, to think our own thoughts to feel our own feelings and to make our own choices without outside pressure, manipulation, or control. All right, so freedom is the ability to think. What I mean is by freedom today, it really is, it's the ability to, to think our own thoughts, to feel our own feelings, to make our own choices without outside pressure, manipulation, or control. Now, as we'll see today, I am not saying, the Word does not teach that we're not called to influence one another. As followers of Jesus, one of the marks of healthy relations, we love one another, we speak into each other's lives. We encourage, we influence, we even challenge, we rebuke at times, we hold accountable. We'll talk more about that later. But what we're saying here is that one of the marks of healthy relationships is that both parties give each other the freedom to think their own thoughts, to feel their own feelings, to make their own decisions without trying to force them to change with like inappropriate uh, levels of uh, fear or intimidation or uh, argumentation or guilt or shame that you have to agree with me. Like one of the marks of a healthy relationship is that I may not agree with you, I may not think you're right in a decision, but I give you the freedom to think your own thoughts, to feel your and to make your own choices, even if I think that they are wrong. And it's this, ability, this freedom that we give one another that allows us to build a, a deep, authentic, real relationship because it creates safety where it allows you to big, bring your true self into the relationship. Like if you have to agree with me on everything for us to have a relationship, and I'm gonna to try to force you to think and feel and make decisions I would make, then what's gonna happen is you're gonna end up pretending to often to be what I want you to be, but in that process, we lose authentic relationship. We're no longer relating as real people. We're just trying to project what we think the other person wants to hear. All right, so. So at the core of this concept of freedom today is the concept of respect, that you are created in the image of God. I am created in the image of God, and that as followers of Jesus, we need to respect that right that we have to, to be our own person before uh, God. Uh, this week, we were in our life group study reading some excerpts from the book Boundaries by the Christian uh, psychologist, uh, Cloudon Townsend. And uh, in another one of their books, which is an excellent book that I'd recommend for those of you who are, are single, is uh, it's called Boundaries in Dating. And, and so they, they write in there about romantic relationships, but this principle applies to all relationships. It says, uh, respect is a necessary element for any couple to grow in love. 
Uh, each person needs to feel that they are respected by the person they're getting to know. This involves having esteem or regard for all aspects of the other. So when respect is present, the other person feels that he can be free to be who he is. All right, so that's why I'm talking about freedom, this ability to think your own thoughts, to feel your own feelings, make your own choices. And it says he can be honest and feel, still feel connected and safe. I don't have to pretend to be something different for you to love me or accept me. Um, he doesn't worry that he'll be attacked or humiliated or treated poorly. If I don't agree with you, you're going to attack me. Um, when respect is absent, many people will find themselves controlled, neglected, or injured by someone who doesn't really care about their needs and feelings. It means things like the following. Here's some great bullet points. It means, so respect means your opinions heard and valued, that your, your differences in a dis, in a, and disagreeing are validated, your choices are esteemed, even the wrong ones, your feelings are regarded, and when you're wrong, you feel confronted, so we're going to speak into each other's lives, but we're not talked down to, we're not babied, I would add, we're not humiliated, we're not mocked. And then he says, respecting someone doesn't mean that you agree with them, so catch that. When I respect you, it doesn't mean I agree with you. It doesn't mean I respect what you're doing. That means I respect you as a person and your right to make that decision. It says, nor does it mean that, I will, that you will comply with what they want. It means that their feelings matter because those, those emotions belong to a person that matters. All right, so, so where's the way we start? That, that we're created for freedom and that if we're going to have a healthy relationship, that you need to be free to think your own thoughts and feel your own feelings, make your own choices, and so do I. It's there that we can bring our true selves into the relationship, and only then can we truly love one another. All right, so that's where we start. Number two, the second principle is that Jesus models freedom. In other words, this, this, this freedom that we're talking about, living in freedom and giving freedom, he models this in his life. And it's really a beautiful thing when you watch it. And I, I want to kind of show you how he models it both in living in freedom and giving freedom. So when we talk about living in freedom, we're talking about, hey, that you love others, you care about what they think, but you'll not necessarily allow them to control what you do or what you think, that you, you respect them, but you're, you're not going to be manipulated by them. And so as you study Jesus' life, one of the things you see is that Jesus loved people, we're called to model him in that, but he didn't allow others to control or manipulate what he does. And a great example comes from early in his ministry in Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, we're told a fascinating story. I think it's fascinating. I think you will too. But it's a fascinating story where his ministry is really trending. It's taking off. So we're told that people are coming from great distances. In fact, it's so crazy, he and his disciples can't even get time to eat. It's just like so popular, right? And his, his family is concerned with him. Because they're really concerned with his growing messianic complex. Right? They're really concerned like, this guy is losing it. He thinks he's something special. He's not special. Like he grew up with us. He's my son. He's their brother. Um, and so we need to help this guy uh, kind of get some clarity. And so it's funny today to look at it that way. But they actually go to him while he's teaching and uh, they, um, they challenge him, and uh, they, they, they're going to try to pull him away and get him checked into like a psychiatric unit or something, right? So uh, if you don't believe me, which it looks like you don't, 
uh, on Mark chapter 3, there in your note sheet, look at what it says. It says, uh, when his family heard about this, uh, that his growing popularity, they went to take charge of him, for they said, what did he say? He's out of his mind. He's lost it. Like Mary's going, oi vey. Like, what are we going to go with Jesus, you know? And his brothers are like, he always acted like he was God or something, you know? And so they're like, we have to, we've got to go get Jesus. He's lost it. He's going to get in trouble. Rome's going to come. They're going to arrest him. I mean, look what's happened to John the Baptist, you know? So they're going to get Jesus. What's interesting is how Jesus responds to this family pressure, which leads us back to our story we started the day, our second example. We're told later on in his ministry, in John 7, just like a year or two later now, not early on, a year or two later, that it's the fall. And so, you know, leaves are changing, weather's changing. Of course, Jesus is around the Sea of Galilee in the north of the country, where it's very hot and humid uh, in the summer. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a beautiful time of year. And in the fall, in October, is one of the three great feasts of the nation of Israel. It's called the Feast of, Pas- of uh, Tabernacles. And everyone travels to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so his brothers, he has four younger brothers, at least that we know of, you know, large family, family of seven at least. He's got these four younger brothers come to him and they say, hey, are you going to, are you going south with us to celebrate the holidays? And Jesus says, no. Now it's interesting because in Mark chapter three, which happens early in the ministry, as you read that passage, you get, the cons- you get the feeling that they're really concerned for Jesus and his safety. Like this whole Messiah thing's gone to his head or something, and they're looking out for him. But by the time you get to John 7, his brothers are just plain irritated. And so when they ask him, are you going south? And he says no. And by the way, the reason he says no is because it's getting very hot for him in Jerusalem that uh, his, it's, been, it's, it's getting very dangerous for him there. So he is going to go, but he's going to go later on. He's going to go incognito, kind of come late in the feast. And, uh, and so in spite of this, I'm sure they know it's kind of dangerous. They're pushing his buttons. Like, I don't know if you have anyone in your family that tries to push your buttons. I'm sure probably not. But uh, in Jesus' family, that's the way it worked. And so they're kind of challenging him. They're saying, what, you're not going south? What's wrong with you? No one who tries to be a public figure like you stays up here in the backwaters of the country in Galilee. Like if you're going to make a bid for, you know, a presidential campaign, you need to go where the action is, you know, and you need to go to south. And it says specifically that they said this because they didn't believe in him. They weren't trying to help him out. They were, they were pushing his buttons. And... Uh, and, and it's interesting, this Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him until after the resurrection, which is a cool thing to have on your resume and helps even your family come around. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so what's interesting is how Jesus responds to this. We know Jesus loves his family, he respects his family, but he refuses to be manipulated by his family. And even when his mother comes and tries to interrupt his teaching, he takes it as an opportunity to teach some, some, to do some powerful teaching on how our spiritual family is more important even than our physical family. 
And in John chapter 7, he refuses to capitulate to his brothers. It says, no, you can go anytime. They don't hate you. I'm not going right now. And so what we see is Jesus models this freedom, he, uh, even with his family, with his closest friends. Remember this week in our life group, we studied about Peter, and he says, get behind me when he's challenged. That, uh, so Jesus has this ability to be who God has made him to be, whether he's standing up to his mother, his brothers, his closest friends, the crowd who wants to make him king, the religious leaders, or even Pilate himself, the Roman governor. And here's what I want you to catch. This is Jesus' vision for our lives. This is his vision for you. We talk about being transformed and becoming like Jesus. But did you, did you know that part of Jesus' vision for your life is that you would rise up and become the person you were created to be and you would no longer be subject to manipulation of anyone else in your life. That what others think of you, what they want you to do, um, that that would not be what's most important to you and that you would be free, free to become the person you were created to be. And catch this, until we grow in freedom, we don't have the capacity to love others well. Because as long as I'm dependent on you for your approval, for my sense of identity, I'm not really able to speak into your life. I am dependent. I'm a slave to fear, the fear of who you think I should be. and whatever. So when, we're, when our mother is calling the shots, when a spouse is calling the shots, when our kids are calling the shots, when what your fellow co-workers think of you is more important than what Jesus thinks of you, that we are living a life of slavery. We're not living in the freedom God has called us to live in, and we're not able to love others as he's called us to do. And so we're called to live, and so Jesus models living a life in freedom. But he also models giving freedom to others. One of the things we see in Jesus' life, he will teach, he will challenge, he will rebuke, but he always respects people's right to choose. Uh, you see a great example of this in the passage we looked at in our life group study this week in Mark chapter 10. For many, it's a familiar passage, but this young man comes to Jesus. He's a gifted leader. He's very wealthy, uh, and he's a man who takes his relationship with God very seriously. And he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, uh, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, to a first century Jew, that's not asking, how do I go to heaven when I die? That's asking, how do I become part of this coming kingdom that you're describing? And so Jesus has this conversation, and it's really interesting because right in the middle of the conversation, Mark inserts the statement about Jesus that's powerful. It's very rare for Mark to do this, very rare for any of the gospel writers to do this. And this is what he says there on your note sheet. It says right in the middle of this conversation, Mark adds, Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. Now this is very unusual. Not that Jesus didn't love people, but it's very unusual, extremely unusual. It only have, happens less than a handful of times in the Gospels where this is set. So there's something about this young man and his hunger for God, this, 
his desire, you know, as he describes his life path from the time he was a little boy that he's been following the commandments and he's coming to Jesus and he really wants to know that Jesus' heart goes out to this young man. He loves this young man. He connects with him and he really wants what's best for him. And so he tells this young man the hard truth. He says that what you need to do if, um, if you want to inherit eternal life is the next step for you is you need to sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in the heavens, and then come and follow me. And as you may know that this price tag is too high for him. He wants the kingdom of God. He wants to follow Jesus, but this is too high a price tag. It's not worth it. And so we're told, Mark tells us that he goes away sad. So I want you to picture what a poignant, what a poignant scene this is. This young man comes to Jesus and this honest conversation. Jesus has his heart for this young man. He, he loves this young man. The young man hears what Jesus says, the hard truth. He turns, he goes away sad. It's a very sad scene. And yet what I want you to catch is that Jesus doesn't pursue him. Jesus doesn't run after him. He doesn't go and say, no, you, you're making the biggest mistake. He doesn't go after him and say, hey, Hey, I'm sorry, maybe the price was a little too high. I misspoke. Let me give you the Zacchaeus deal. <laughs> the Jesus lets him go. And this is what you see all through the Bible, that God will pursue us. He'll tell us the truth. He'll warn us. He'll challenge. He'll even rebuke. But he always respects our right to choose. You think of Deuteronomy 30 when Moses speaks to the nation of Israel right before they go in the promised land, and he says, hey, if you follow God, here's all the blessings that are come. And he goes through a whole chapter of blessings. And he says, and if you refuse to follow me and you rebel, here's all the curses that will come. We go the whole long chapter of curses. And then he says, so I set before you today life and death, so choose life that you may live. And this is what you see. So God never forces choices. He tells us the truth. He'll challenge. He'll even rebuke. He'll lay out consequences, but he respects our right to choose even if it's the wrong choice. And you see this, for example, in the book of Revelation, right? When you see in the book of Revelation where, or think of the, think of the story of the prodigal son, how the young son, come give me my inheritance. And he's making the worst decision of his life, but his father says, okay. He gives them that right to make a mistake. Uh, you think of Revelation 3.20, a very famous passage where Jesus speaks to the church of Laodicea and he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come in and have fellowship. But what's the unstated flip side? That if you don't open the door, I won't. Jesus won't kick the door down. Are you with me? And so Jesus always respects. He doesn't humiliate. He doesn't mock. He doesn't, he, he respects that right to choose. And so this is how what he models for us. That Jesus calls us to love others as he has loved us, which means we need to live in the freedom ourselves, but we need to give freedom to others, right? Now, number three. The third principle is that with freedom comes responsibility. 
So this is very countercultural, right? We live in a culture that's all about freedom, but not anything about responsibility. Like in our culture today, freedom means you can do whatever you want without consequences, without responsibility, without accountability. Anyone tries to hold you accountable, hey, you're messing with my freedom. But in the Bible, freedom always comes with responsibility. And so, for example, God will say to Israel, choose today. Here's, here's, here's what will happen if you obey. Here's what happens if you don't. But you choose, but the consequences will be yours. So you have the freedom to choose. I respect that, but you're responsible for your choices, and there will be consequences one way or another. In a similar way, uh, in the, when we talk about freedom in the Bible, to give someone else freedom doesn't mean we don't speak into their life or even at times hold accountable. That, uh, that freedom, uh, that what we see in the Bible is if you truly love someone and they're headed down a wrong path, that you should speak into their life, uh, that we should challenge. At times we should even rebuke, at times even hold accountable, that freedom and responsibility are not opposites. They're, they work together. Uh, I'll put a couple examples there on your note sheet, but in Proverbs chapter 27, uh, Solomon writes, better is open rebuke than hidden what? Love. So what he's saying is that in a relationship where you love someone, that it's better to be open and rebuke them if they're making a mistake than to be silent and just love them quietly. And he goes on and he says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Uh, look at the next passage is 1 Thessalonians 5. In the New Testament, in the community of Jesus, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle. In other words, if you studied your life group this week that people are not willing to work and are kind of mooching off the community, he says, warn those who are idle. We're called to speak into each other's lives and warn those who are disruptive. Uh, encourage, the, encourage the disheartened. It's where to speak, whether it's words of warning or words of encouragement. Help the weak be patient with everyone. So, so freedom, uh, when we live in freedom and we give freedom, it doesn't mean that we allow people to do whatever they want without speaking in or holding accountable. Um, so there's a great example of this where Jesus lays a foundation for this principle that runs all through the New Testament in the early church in Matthew chapter 18. So in our life groups this week, we looked at this passage. I want to look at it again here because it lays a groundwork, like I said, for the rest of the New Testament and the early church. And so uh, Jesus is speaking, and he says, if your brother sins against you. Now, some Greek manuscripts will just say if they sin, so either way. But if your brother sins against you, or if your brother sins, he says, here's what you need to do. Go and what? Can we say it again? This is kind of awkward. Go and show him his fault. Now, how many of you find that easy to do? There's like some of you like, like you see someone in your life. We're not talking about some small thing here, but you see someone who's a brother or sister in Christ, someone that you know follows Jesus, and they're making a serious mistake. I mean, they, they are choosing to what, I, what the Old Testament calls high-handed sin. They're, they're doing something that's clearly wrong. Like later in the New Testament might define it as they're living in sexual immorality, for example, which in, in, the, in the Bible would be any sort of sexual relationship uh, outside of uh, kind of a lifetime love and commitment of one man for one woman uh, 
that we call marriage, right? So any sex outside of the Bible, we, by definition, sexual immorality. So it might be sexual immorality. It might be later on in 1 Corinthians 5, we'll have examples of fraud or uh, kind of partying lifestyle or uh, uh, kind of greed. Uh, or later on in the New Testament, people that refuse to work and are mooching off or causing just, just disruptive, divisive people in the community. These are some of the examples the New Testament uh, give. So he says, so if your brother or sister claims to be a follower of Jesus and yet they're pursuing this life of high-handed rebellion, he says that what you need to do is you need to go to them and discuss this, this with them. Now, what I want you to catch is let me ask you, how hard is that to do? That's hard to do, isn't it? That takes a very strong sense of self to do that. That takes a lot of freedom. Think how Jesus models this uh, in the passage we studied this week in Matthew 16, where Jesus says he has to go to suffer, and Peter says, no, you'll never do that, Matthew 16. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, get behind me, Satan. That takes a pretty strong sense of self, right? That Jesus had no trouble turning on a dime after he had just built up Peter, how blessed you are for what God is working in your life. He had no trouble when, when Peter started articulating really Satan's words had no trouble turning on a dime and confronting his closest friend. It takes a lot of internal freedom. It takes a strong sense of self to be able to do this. And Jesus says, as followers of Jesus, if we want to love others well, that part of loving others well is confronting when they are on a dangerous, self-destructive path. And he says, so when you see that, you need to... Uh, Go to them in love and challenge that. It takes a strong sense of self. And he says, now, he says, do it just between the two of you. We're going to keep this at the lowest level. And if he listens to you, then you've what? You've won your brother. And I want you to catch this. This is the whole point. The reason we would go to a brother or sister is not to spank them spiritually. The way we're, reason we're, is not to shame them. It's not to say, I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. It's not to say, what a hypocrite. It's not to, I'm mad at you. We're going to win a brother or sister. We're going to rescue them from a destructive path. And so if they turn around, that's a win. That's what our goal is. He said, but if that doesn't work, he says, then you should just forget it and move on with your life. <laughs> oh, that's the heresy Bible. Um, <laughs> he says, uh, no, he says, if they won't listen, uh, he says, then uh, you need to take one or two others along. Now, why would you do that? Well, there's probably more than one reason, but one of the reasons is if you've ever noticed this, that if you're in, living in sin in your own life, You've been rationalizing this to yourself, haven't you? Like you know it's wrong, but you've been rationalizing. So when someone comes to confront you, a typical response is not always, thank you very much for showing me the light. It's like, no, I need to show you why this is right. 
and I need to defend this, and I need to explain to you, and you've always been uptight, and you're always a Bible thumper, and you're, all, you're so holier than thou, and you think you have no sin in your life, who are you to confront me? Right? This is what often happens out of our sin. And so Jesus says, take two or three others. So you grab a couple other people from your life group or your pastor or director or whoever it is. Why? Because it's much harder for this person who's heading down a destructive path to say, no, I'm right and you are all wrong. <laughs> you're, you're helping them to hear the truth. But Jesus says, if that doesn't happen, and this is, this is surprising and so countercultural, but he says, if he refuses to listen to them, what's the next step? Okay, let's say it again, because I just want to make sure we all hear this. What's the next step? Tell it to the church. Go more public. Now, just to be clear, in that day, you know, churches were not big like Rocky Peak. They'd be like, you know, house churches, right? So, uh, but in other words, take it to their church, to their circle of influence, and share this with them. This person is on the wrong path. They're refusing to listen and follow. And Jesus says, and then what you need to do is that you need then to treat them as you would a pagan, like a non-believer, or a tax collector. And that culture was sort of like the epitome of the rebellious person. In other words, they can't be part of your fellowship. Now, let me ask you something. How countercultural is that? In our culture today, the concept of even challenging someone on a lifestyle issue feels very countercultural. Like, who are you to tell me? It's none of your business. But the thought that you would say, hey, you can't be part of Rocky Peak until this changes, that sounds extreme in our culture, doesn't it? And yet this is what Jesus says. Now, why does he say this? He says, because if you truly love someone, you have to help them see the truth. And the truth is, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, but are not following Jesus, you're living in deception. And if we allow you to be part of the community of King Jesus, while you're rebelling against King Jesus, we are aiding and abetting your deception. And we're not doing you any uh, favor. And also, if we allow you to go on in your lifestyle of sin, as Paul said this week in 1 Corinthians 5, sin is like cancer or like a virus, like yeast, it spreads. And when you allow sin to go on in the community of King Jesus, it spreads and will damage the whole community. And so Jesus says, hey, if someone's a follower of Jesus, that yes, they have freedom to make their choices, but with freedom comes responsibility, and part of that responsibility and consequence, if you refuse to follow, you can't be part of the community and catch it, and that too is an act of love. You see? It's an act of love for the person, it's an act of love for the community. You know, it's interesting because as you might imagine, over my ministry career, both here and in my previous church, that I've had many conversations like this with people in my office. And it's so interesting how it goes uh, because uh, it usually goes something like this, that, that we'll sit down and, and I'll say to them, hey, 
I don't even know if it's true, but this is my understanding of what's going on in your life. Is that true? And then they say, yeah, that's true. And I'll say, well, would it be okay if we spent some time just walking through the word together and talking about that? And I'll say, well, sure, you know. And so we go through the word and kind of what the word teaches about their particular thing, whether it's fraud or whether it's ripping people off, sexual murder, whatever the issue is. And we go, can you see how this would be a violation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And they're usually like, yeah, I, I, okay, I see that. And then I usually walk them through 1 Corinthians 5 where it's so clear, I studied this week, that if someone claims to be a brother or sister, and that's key, they claim to be a brother or sister in Christ and yet they're living in ongoing sin that we're, they can't be part of the fellowship. So the, the way I describe it is that uh, we either have to hold on to our sin and let go of the fellowship or we can let go of the fellowship and hold on to our sin, but you can't do both. You can't hold on to your sin and be part of the fellowship. And we'll walk through that, and I'll say, can you see how that Jesus is really clear with me as one of the leaders of this church that if I allow this to happen, I am rebelling against King Jesus, and I am destroying his church. And as we just walk through, they, yeah, I can see that. And so I will tell them, I'll say, so listen, I love you. I want you here. We want you here. But the choice is yours. You can either listen and follow Jesus and be part of his community, or you can reject and rebel against Jesus and not be part of the community, but you can't have it both ways. So we want you here, but we'll respect your decision. And can I tell you something that almost every time, I think there's been twice in all my years of ministry, maybe once, but in all my years of ministry, you know what those conversations lead to? they lead to a beautiful repentance and reconciliation in healing. Because I'm not trying to shame. We're not trying to manipulate. We're not saying, how can you? We're just saying, hey, here is what the truth is. Here is what your choices are. How do you want to respond? And you know what? Uh, so many times um, that people have said, you know what? You're absolutely right, and I've been fooling myself. Because the reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit inside you, he's been telling you, and you've been resisting. And that's hard to resist the Holy Spirit. And it wears you out, and it robs you of your life. And when someone calls you out, there's a beautiful freedom saying, that's right, and I need to turn. And... Um, and so when that happens, there's usually a thank you for having the courage to confront me on this. And there's a beautiful reconciliation and a reunion with the body of Christ. And so what you see in the New Testament, we see it here in Matthew 18. Jesus lays the groundwork. But we saw it as we saw this week in, Matthew, in, in 1 Corinthians 5. We saw it this week in 2 Thessalonians 3. You see it time and time again where with freedom comes responsibility. All right, so, so, the, so standing, stepping back then, the big picture is that we're created to live in response for freedom, to think our own thoughts, to uh, feel our own feelings, to make our own decisions, um, and that it's when we give each other that freedom that creates the space for real and authentic relationship. But with that freedom comes responsibility and that includes, at times, accountability. All right, so that's the big picture. Now, the question is for you, 
I've got two questions for you then. As you grow, you say, hey, I want to love people as God has loved me. I, I want to build uh, powerful, deep, authentic relationships. I want to do that in my marriage. I want to do it in my dating. I want to do that with my friendships. I want to do it with my life group. I want to do it uh, with co-workers. I, I want to live this way. I want to love others as God has loved me. Um, so in this area of freedom, what does that mean? Well, I've got two questions for you. Uh, number one, the first question is, are you living in freedom? Uh, to what extent, as a follower of Jesus, are you living in the freedom that Jesus came to bring you? Um, and um, I think the honest answer uh, would be, probably for all of us, that it's a mixed bag. Uh, I think for all of us in this room, I'm sure I would put myself right there with you, is that we all struggle with this at times. Because as fallen human beings, we all long for the acceptance, the approval, the respect of others, and as a result, we're often tempted and we often um, will give in uh, to pretend to be someone we're not in order to win that love, approval, and acceptance. We all do this, right? Um, I like to call it becoming a jello person. Um, you know, when I was young, uh, some of you will remember this, but when I was young, my mom used to make these jellos in these molds, and they would often come out like at Christmas time or Thanksgiving. And so you would pour the jello into this mold, and you could change like the end of the mold. So at the top of the jello would come out different images, right? Because it would mold. So it might be a star, it might be Rudolph, uh, it might be a Christmas tree, a uh, snowman. And so the jello would just mold to whatever you put it in. And for some of us, we are like jello people, right? Like we, we mold to the people we're around. When we're with our mother or our mother-in-law, we become who they want us to be. When we're with our spouse, we become who he or she wants us to be. With our friends, we become like them. When we're at work, we become like we're jello people. We don't have a strong sense of self. And what I want you to catch is that Jesus has come so that you can become that person you were created to be. That you would become the person his vision for your life, you would not be molding to others that like him, you would have a strong sense of your identity being the person that you were created to be. And the thing is, is, is that as you look at the life of Jesus, this is, um, this is who he was and this is what's the secret to his strength. And so what I want to do is I want to give you uh, three steps the question is, okay, so if we want to grow and become this person, we want to live in freedom, how do we grow in this? And I want to give you three specific suggestions, three simple steps, not easy, but, but uh, kind of simple, profound steps of how we grow in this area of freedom. And so number one, now number one is going to sound especially simple. Hang with me. There's more depth here than it might sound on the surface. But it goes like this. The first one is we're going to spend time with God. Now, by spending time with God, I don't mean simply developing what we call here at Rocky Peak a regular rhythm of relationship. That you would have a regular time you spend with God in His Word and prayer. Uh, yes, I'm, that involves that, but I'm talking about something much more than that, than just having a strong devotional or quiet time or whatever like that. What I'm saying is that, that if you want to grow in your freedom, the first step is you have to press into your relationship with God. 
Your relationship with God has to become the most important relationship in your life. And that and that alone will give you the strength to become who you're created to be. This is an interesting thing that often in Christian service we'll talk about so many different areas, but we will skip the first step. There's a reason why Jesus said the top priority is you'd love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because if we don't do that, nothing else works. That is like the first step to all the rest of the steps. And so the reality is if there are people in our life that their opinion means more of you than Jesus' opinion of you, if there are goals in your life that are more important than Jesus' goals for your life, you will be, to some degree, a jello person. You will flex because under pressure, you will say you will become who your boss wants you to become because your top goal in life is to get a promotion. And so you will become who you think your boss wants you to become because the God in your life is your promotion. If your top God in your life is popularity with your friends, then obviously you will compromise who you are to become like your friends. If your top goal in life is to become wealthy, you will adjust who you are to attain that goal. Are you with me in this? That without our top goal in life being to know Him and to please Him and to love Him as our top passion, our foundation is shaky, and when the winds of temptation come, we will compromise. We will not be our true self because there is something that is our top goal higher than Him. And so we're, we're going to have to press into Him and we're going to seek. And what's, what's so interesting is when you study the life of Jesus, this is clearly the reason he lived in freedom. Because if you study his life, and I put several references there on your notes, you can check them out later, that the top goal in his life was to know and to love and to please his father. The passion of his life was to know him and to be loved by him. And this drove him, and that's what gave him the strength to stand up against his mother, his brothers, Peter, the religious leaders, the crowds, the political leaders, because the top driving goal of his life was to, to know, to love, and to be loved by his Father and to be who God had called him to be. And because of that, it gave him the strength to stand against the tie. Number two, the second uh, practical step here is to spend time with safe people. This is very difficult to heal in this area of freedom without safe people in our lives. So in other words, that uh, for some, to all of us to some degree, all of us, because there is no perfect family. All families are dysfunctional just to different degrees and, you know, different ways. Um, so we've all been impacted, right? But, but if you grew up in a family who was highly dysfunctional, um, this is really hard. Like, for example, if you grew up in a family where you were not free to think your own thoughts, when you thought your own thoughts, you expressed your own opinions, you were told to shut up who asked you. And I'm very seriously here. When you, when you disagreed with your father and you got the backhand, don't ever disagree with me again. <clears throat> when you told your mother how you felt and she said, that's stupid, grow up, you're being a baby. 
when these are the kinds of messages you've heard all your life, just for survival's sake, you've learned how to be a jello person. You've learned how to fit in. You've learned it's not safe to think my own thoughts. It's not safe to have my own feelings. It is not safe to make my own decisions. And so you've developed a coping strategy of just molding to whoever you're with. And when you start hearing a message like this and Jesus starts calling you to step into your future to become the person you are created to be, it is extremely difficult because every time you start, there's an old tape plague in your head that says, shut up, sit down, and don't ask. Stop feeling. And this is hard. And even when the Holy Spirit is calling us out and telling us our true identity and calling us by our true name and telling us you're beautiful, you are loved, you are mine, you are cherished, you are brave, step forth, become who you are, follow me, that even when the Holy Spirit's telling us from the inside, it's hard to listen and follow because our experience has been so negative on the outside. And so what we need is we need some followers of Jesus, some people around us who love us, who value us, and who encourage us to think our own thoughts and to feel our own feelings and validate those feelings and listen well and encourage us not to become dependent on them, but to rise up and become the person we are created to be, that that gives us the strength and the environment where we can begin to listen to the Holy Spirit and step out and become who Jesus is calling us to be. I love the way Cloud and Townsend put it in their book, Boundaries. No matter how much you talk to yourself, you read, you study, you practice, you can't develop or set boundaries apart from supportive relationships with God, there's number one, and others. Number two, don't even try to start setting limits until you've entered into deep, abiding attachments with people who will love you no matter what. So we need to press into God, spend time with God. We need to spend time with safe people. But the third thing we need to do is to limit time with unsafe people. It's very hard to heal and to come out and to be who we're created to be when we're hanging around the same people that have been beating us down for years. And so often we have to limit our time and some cases even cut off relationship altogether, catch this, for a season. And the goal, we're not writing them off forever. What we're saying is, I need to grow and heal and strengthen these muscles so that I will have the strength to enter back into relationship with you, but in a healthy way. Okay, so the first question is, are you growing in freedom? Are you living in freedom? The second question is, are you giving freedom? And so for some of us, this is the challenge, and the reality is some of us will have both of these challenges, but but this is a challenge for, for many of us that we've grown up in a setting where for whatever reason we've never seen modeled, we've grown up in a maybe a high control setting, um, or maybe it's just our temperament that we just like to control everything. And so in a situation like this, uh, what we've seen today is in order to build healthy relationships, we not only need to live in freedom, we need to give others freedom to think their own thoughts, feel their own feelings, make their own choices. And for some of us, this is a big challenge. 
So for example, let's say you've grown up in a family with a very harsh father, a very harsh mother. Even if you hated that, when it comes time to your relationships and to your family, very, chance, very likely you will tend to do the same thing because you've taken in that value, value just by osmosis, just by being around. And so, and so what happens is that for some of us, the only people that we can have relationship with is people that we can control. People who think like we think, feel like we feel, that make choices that we chase, or that we can control to make that happen. It's almost like when we enter into relationship with people, we say, let me see the links on your chain, your belief system, right? And if our chains match up, we can be friends. Or if you don't mind, if I bring my hammer to the relationship, I'd be happy to strengthen the links, straighten out the links in your chain that are wrong. And I'm sure you'll appreciate this because who wants to be wrong, right? And I'm sort of God's gift to you. Just think of me as a gift. Just to hammer out the wrong thoughts and feelings and choices you're making, right? And so we'll enter into and so. Um, so when we are wired this way, for whatever reason, what it does, it tells others around us they're not safe to think their own thoughts, to feel their own feelings, to make their own choices. So if they want to have relationship, they have to pretend to be someone they're not, which never leads to real relationship at all. So what I want to do is I want to illustrate how this might look. And I want to use an illustration uh, of uh, a parent, uh, it could be a mom or dad, of a high schooler, let's call him a sophomore, either a girl or a boy, it doesn't matter. Um, and so I want to use this as an illustration, but I want to be putting neon lights around this, that I'm using this as an illustration. In other words, the principles could apply to a friendship, to a marriage, to a life group, to a ministry team, to an extended family, to coworkers, to employees. So the illustration will be of this family, but the principle is much bigger. And I want to mention that right off the top because some of you are just breathing easy right now. Like, I'm so glad I don't have a high schooler. And therefore, this doesn't apply to me. <laughs> it's like, I'm not letting you off the hook. All right? This is the illustration. So, so let's say, let's just set this up. Let's say that you have a high schooler. Uh, they're a sophomore. Uh, and you're the parent, and let's just say that you have more conservative views than they do, right? Now, it could be vice versa. It wouldn't make any difference. Um, it's not like a right or wrong in this, this uh, thing. It's just, uh, just from point of illustration. So let's say that, that you are, tend to be more conservative as a parent, more conservative, more traditional, more orthodox, depending on the issue, than your sophomore son or daughter. And so let's say that you're going to be discussing important issues that come up. Right? So you're driving home in the car, uh, you're on vacation, you're on the dinner table, and important issues come up. So they could be spiritual issues, right? Uh, uh, they could be political or social. They could be moral issues. So let's say, for example, that uh, at the dinner table, the spiritual issue comes up of uh, that your sophomore is telling you they're not sure they believe in Jesus anymore. They're not sure they believe that Jesus is the only way. They have Muslim friends. They have Jewish friends. They have uh, friends who are in a variety of things. And they seem to be, 
Their life seems to be going well, and they seem to believe what they, So how do we know what our belief? I'm not sure I believe that anymore. So it's a spiritual issue. Maybe it's a social or political issue. So maybe it has to do with which political party, you know, or which presidential candidate is best. Maybe it has to do with uh, social issues, like maybe a race issue, like Black Lives Matter. Or maybe it's an immigration issue of what's an appropriate response to the, those challenges or maybe it's uh, kind of the new uh, socialism and uh, kind of is that good or bad and AOC and all this stuff. And so it's that kind of issue. Or maybe it's a moral issue. And they're saying, I'm not really sure that I buy into these sexual standards that I've been uh, raised or the Bible teaches. I'm not sure that sex outside of marriage is always wrong. I'm not sure that I agree that same-sex relationships are wrong. I'm not sure on this whole transgender issue where I stand, but are you with me? So it's important issues, important issues that are coming up. You're at the dinner table. Uh, you're driving in a car. You're on a family vacation, and this, co- this topic comes up, and your child challenges your belief. And the question is, how do you respond to that? Well, a person that struggles with giving freedom is going to feel the need to shut down that conversation and correct their student as quickly as possible. And so they're going to feel a need to tell them, I can't, you know, I can't believe that you are saying that. That's not the way you were raised. That's not what the Bible teaches that's wrong. It's those liberal educators that you're with. It's just that when you grow up, when you're older, you'll understand. Uh, you don't really get it. It's just what your friends are saying. Here's 14 reasons why. And so this goal of this parent is to correct this child as quickly as possible and tell how ridiculous they are. But what I want you to catch is apart from the right or the wrong of the issue, apart from that, that what the parent is really telling their child is that in this house, you do not have the freedom to think your own thoughts, to feel your own feelings, to have your own opinions, to come to your own inclusion, and to make your own decisions. In this house... If you want peace and you want relationship and you want to be loved and accepted, there is one road, and that's you need to agree with me. And the sooner, the better. And what you've just told that student without really putting into words is if you want to be a real person with real thoughts and real emotions, you need to go outside of this house because you will never find it inside this house. And then we as parents wonder why my kids don't want to hang out with me anymore. (laughs) Well, because they want to be a real person. And the irony is, is that the more we try to control someone else's thoughts, the less influence we have. The reality is our sons don't want to have those conversations. But what does it look like to live in freedom and to give freedom? It looks like to listen well, to go back to lesson five of the series. Help me understand, why do you think that? Huh, what's that, 
What's driving that? Help me, please. What do you think about this? And honoring their, them as a person. And in that setting, so many times the, the student will settle down and really they're not sure what they think. They're just exploring. What they really want to know is, can I have an honest conversation with you and not lose myself in the process? Now, here's what I want to highlight. I've illustrated this with the students, but this is the same exact dynamic in a marriage. How many times in a marriage does a husband or wife basically tell, if you don't agree with me, we can't discuss this conversation. I need to tell you what to think. How many times in a friendship, how many times in a boss, an employee, really, with a boss, this is the truth, don't challenge me on that, right? And, and so what, we, what happens when we do that is that we can't enter into real relationship. We can't build real and authentic relationship because real and authentic relationship creates space for a person to bring their true self in and it's safe. And there and there alone, can we talk, share hearts, and grow together? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word that not only teaches, but just models a life of love. We thank you for Jesus and how he models this living and giving freedom. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to stand in that freedom, to, to move in this realm of freedom, to to understand what we're responsible for, what we're not, and to be able to be the people we're created to be, to live in that freedom, but to give it to others so we can truly love others well. And so we pray, Lord, as we continue in worship now, as we bring our tithes, our offerings, our gifts, as we sing this song about new wine and the freedom that you want to bring to our lives, we pray you'd meet us now in a powerful way as we process what we learned and what our next step is in our life to live or to give freedom. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.